Hi, everyone. I'm Ann Louise Gittleman, First Lady of Nutrition for First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And every week we try to bring you the movers and shakers in the nutrition, health and healing field. And today, of course, is no exception whatsoever. My guest today is Dr. Thomas Lewis, a Harvard and MIT educated biochemist who has the most incredible blood testing services where he tests for chronic infections and hidden diseases. Good day to you, Dr. Thomas Lewis. And what is the most important thing you're learning about chronic inflammation and hidden infections? Do we all have hidden infections? Yes, and Louise, we all have hidden infections. And I think the most cogent proof is when you die, you're no longer interacting with the environment, yet you start decomposing. Why? They're already there. And so what we measure very accurately is biomarkers that indicate your pre-existing burden of these things that are already there. And are we talking about virus? Are you talking about bacteria? Are you talking about parasites, pray tell? I have a predisposition to parasites. I just read that people that have Alzheimer's have a high degree of toxoplasmosis antibodies in their blood. So what exactly are we, what are we looking at, my friend? Yes, toxoplasmosis antibodies, and that's an intracellular, a microscopic parasite. So we're looking at bacteria, viruses, parasites, and then even... Um, strings of protein that are even smaller than a virus that lead to a variety of autoimmune conditions from improperly digested food. But in our body, there can be, and I don't want to gross anybody out. Gross anything, amount, no gross amount. All right, anything from you know a string of protein up to a 30-inch worm and everything in between. I believe wrinkles are caused by organisms as we age and we have immunosenescence our immune system isn't working as well as it did in our younger years. So how do we know? I guess the big question for me is, how do we know we're harboring these, these hidden infections because they're hidden, sometimes they're dormant. How would we know? What, what, is the, what is the way to uncover these? So the best way is with a simple blood test, but the, the issue is in the standard of care, when you go to your doctor, two things happen. They run a very narrow set of biomarkers and they interpret it from whether you're acutely sick or not. So you're either sick or you're not. In so our how, how, program, do they, how do they measure that? Is that that IgM thing? No, they, they don't even do that, Anne Louise. They're just measuring lipids, chemistry, and your A1C. So it's very uh, basic. It's, it's very, very, very basic. You know, what we do is we measure enough markers to tell you where you are on the health disease continuum. Mm. In the standard of care, when you express a symptom or a disease, you're far up the health disease continuum. But what we do is we can measure if you're beyond that and why, and then before that point of inflection and how, what you can do to prevent from ever having a symptom emerge. But I think the point is, no matter where you are on this health or health disease continuum, we have solutions for you. I'd love to show you some of the profoundly uh, demented people with very advanced Alzheimer's that we have improved significantly. And what are you finding? So let's talk about Alzheimer's. I wrote about that in my latest book. 
Um, what are you finding? Is there a predisposition towards heavy metals? Are you seeing the toxoplasmosis that two studies have identified? Are you seeing bacteria? Are you seeing mercury? What are you finding and how do you test? So you test with a simple blood test that looks at things from a different perspective. Right. So heavy metals is very popular in functional medicine, but I believe that's a small percentage of the contribution. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's really... Is, have you been compromised and become vulnerable? That's the most important test, actually. That is not even looking for infection. That's just looking for how robust your immune system response is or how much bandwidth of your immune system is already tied up. Secondarily to that, we will test for actual pathogen sources. So for example, anybody over the age of 50 should get a periodontal oral DNA test to determine their pathogen burden. This is from right from Charles Mayo, the founder of the Mayo Clinic, who spent the last half of his medical career investing cause and effect between periodontal disease and any number of conditions from heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disease, like diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, and so on and so forth. So that's, we, that's, that's just incredible. But I mean, who does an oral DNA test? Yeah, very few dentists and even fewer practitioners, but I, I encourage, because it's so inexpensive, relatively speaking, I encourage every one of my participants to get that, particularly if their white blood cell counts, which is your true initial innate immune response against any kind of insult or disease, if it's up even just slightly. And that's what we do different than the standard of care. We don't look for, do you have a fire? We look for smoldering because where there's smoke, there will, in physiology, eventually be, be a fire. And that's the health continuum or the health disease continuum. So I measure white blood counts all the time in a CBC. I see low white blood counts. What is that indicative, indicative of? Right. So when you look at the white blood cell count, we run a white blood cell count, cell count with differential to look at the five different subsets of white blood cells. Your white blood cell count is a addition, a summation of five different ones. And so how those five different ones express their values tell us what's going on. So generally a low white blood cell count is because your lymphocytes, your killer T cells are, are lowered. And that almost always infers some uh, enhanced viral burden in your system. And what virus could that possibly be? Oh, it could be any of the, any of the usual suspects, Epstein-Barr, HSV, cytomegalovirus, COVID, SARS-CoV-2. Um, it, it's really an agnostic general test. So, and when it comes to viruses, we're not worried about the specificity. We're worried about viral burden. And then we have protocols to reduce those viral, viral burdens, both naturally through supplements and pharmacologically. What's your, what's your favorite natural? My favorite natural would be vitamin D, quercetin yes. and zinc, high dose vitamin C, olive leaf extract. Those are, and, and then even medicinal mushrooms rise to the top of the list. It's never one thing. Each one of these has different modes of action. So that's why I never look at a monotherapy I always look at things from a multifactorial perspective. 
And uh, we basically, on our website, published the Institute for Functional Medicine's antiviral protocol. And then we've added a couple of our own. For example, they don't use olive leaf extract, but it's very well published that that is a very strong antiviral. So you take a look, you, you do a particular blood test with the, what is the name of your organization, by the way, so that my listeners can find you easily? So three words strung together, health, revival, partners with an S. So we are your partner and you are our partner. I love that. In reviving your health. In reviving and rejuvenating your health and actually Absolutely. figuring out what the hell is smoldering in the background because it's always what's smoldering. The embers are, are really what the causative factor of disease is. Well, no, let me give a little background. So um, I have a doctorate in chemistry from MIT. Yes. Then I went to the Harvard School of Public Health and studied nutrition and toxicology. But those are just degrees. Where I really earned my spurs is working with two Harvard clinicians that were practicing and measuring health every day and showing cause and effect between what they measured, how they treated, and how patients responded. So when you say- <laughs> Who were cause, they? Who were, tell us who they were. So one is quite famous. His name is Dr. Kilmer McCulley. Today the homocysteine a, man, yes indeed. Homocysteine, the pioneer of the homocysteine theory. Yes. He didn't discover homocysteine, but he discovered studies that showed how young children with elevated homocysteine had arthrosclerosis or vascular disease as bad as very older, very old people. Now, he was a pathologist, he is a pathologist, no longer practicing, but still publishing papers. But the one who really figured it all out, starting in around 1967, was Dr. Clement Trempe, T-R-E-M-P-E. He's not as well known for some reason, Dr. Lewis. No, he was. He worked very quietly. He was just a dedicated, considered himself a humble clinician that just helped the next patient that walked into his office. An unsung hero. Yeah, so what he was, was an ophthalmologist. And why an ophthalmologist? But he was the most unique ophthalmologist of all time, because in 1980, he gave up the practice of traditional ophthalmology and used the eye and measurements of tissue in the eye as a barometer for disease. So for example, macular degeneration, gets treated in the eye only. Macular degeneration is a systemic vascular problem. And should interesting, be interesting. Nobody looks at it that way. Nobody looks at it. Let me just tell you about cataract, the number one surgery in the world. If I take two 60-year-olds, one with all else seemingly the same, but one with cataract and one without, the one with cataract is going to die younger and almost always of a cardiovascular event. And then the, the last one is glaucoma. And glaucoma and Alzheimer's are the exact same disease. One just happens to be in the retina. One happens to be in the brain, but glaucoma is a um, portends the brain condition because the eye is actually more vulnerable to inflammatory and infectious disease than is the brain. How phenomenally interesting. So Alzheimer's glaucoma of the brain. And that's published. You can go, go on Google and type in glaucoma and Alzheimer's and you'll find papers that lay, very few layperson papers, but it, medical research papers that explains what's called the etiology, the etiology or the, 
the causation or process of the disease and they completely overlap. So what else do you look at? You look at the five different types of white blood cells. What do the eosinophils tell you? Eosinophil is a good question. That really is titrated to traditional parasitic infections. Do you what? see a lot of parasites, by the way, Dr. Lewis? I wrote a book about it many moons ago. Um, you know, and, and um, Dietrich Klinghart uh, writes a lot about parasites. Yes. In, in my world, the preponderance of disease-causing species or bacterial in nature, second will be viruses, and then third will be parasites. But I recommend, I met with Mark Laponis um, with a bunch of other doctors. Now, Mark Laponis at the time was the chief medical officer of Canyon Ranch. And way back when Dr. Mark Hyman, the face of functional medicine and Mark Laponis were partners. Mm. And we, we said, what would we do for ourselves to assure good, a good, healthy longevity? And we all agreed that periodically, it might be every five years or more with testing, a parasitic cleanse, a viral cleanse, and a chronic infection treatment. Wow. And those, so are, and those are the three things that we consider that most contribute to chronic diseases and chronic inflammation. So tell me what you'd use for virus. So, so the virus is, you know, the, the main line of pharmaceutical beyond the vitamin D, the quercetin, the zinc, the vitamin C, the and olive the extract. extract. Yeah, it would be the uh, ivermectin. That's you know, what I that's what I wanted to hear, ivermectin. Yeah, but see, ivermectin. It's an, but it's an antiparasitic as well. So Merck, to my understanding, I may not be 100% accurate on this, but I believe Merck distributes ivermectin for free to third world nations mm. for children that are dying, that are so, so weak and so underweight because of parasitic infections. Yes. And this is life-saving. So people worry about pharmaceuticals. I can tell you that if a five-year-old that weighs 15 kilograms, you know, 30 pounds or less, even down to 15 pounds, is saved by ivermectin because of par because of eradicating. So you you can give you can give ivermectin to a child that's five years old. Absolutely. Wow. Now the dose there's a very, you know, very well documented, well studied dose regimen based on weight. So you certainly would not give a 180 pound man and a 20 pound four-year-old the same dose of ivermectin. But that's all well published. You can find it on almost any dosing schedule on any website that talks to like drugs.com or things of that nature. So that's why it's used as an alternative treatment for the virus. Well, you know, what, what has happened within the last 20 years is when you see you're treating people with some with parasitic infection, you can almost be guaranteed they're so weak and vulnerable. They have comorbid viral infections as well. So good doctors paying attention to their treatment saw this effect. And now it has been well studied over the last 20 years as an antiviral. And I saw the Washington Post today came up with something marginalizing ivermectin in favor of- Well, well of course. Or toxic drugs. But I can assert to you that ivermectin is good. It's not a miracle, but let me tell you what the miracle is. You know, if, 
you know, the, the popular media, media talks about a 35-year-old in Texas that died from COVID. But see, no one knows how sick that person was. That yes. No one did proper blood testing. So the difference between a 35-year-old that dies and a 35-year-old that survives is their underlying physiological health, which we measure very accurately in what we call our spike protein risk and prognosis panel. But ivermectin too. So they'll, they'll demonize ivermectin because they'll mention two cases where someone was on ivermectin and they still died. That's because they had comorbidities way beyond just a viral or parasitic burden. They probably had a very large bacterial burden and poor repair and recovery pathways from poor nutrition, poor diet, poor absorption. So to try to put things into um, one box and say, this is panacea, is extraordinarily naive. In nature, we have what's called the bell curve. And everybody, whether you're two or 102, are on that bell curve, which what we, we call the health disease continuum or health continuum. And where you measure on that will determine your prognosis and outcomes and also the efficacy of treatments. And the more treatment you do and the more you improve your physiological health, the more the treatments will work. You, you can't bring someone back from death's door with a pill. You have to work through any number of protocols, test and retest, retreat, test again. Are we heading in the right direction? It's only when you get into a better state of physiological health that you can expect medical interventions to save you. So, it's always a partnership. That's why it's Health Revival Partners. We have to partner in your good health to measure you well, show you where you are, help you improve, and then um, suggest interventions that'll either save you or prevent you from being in a state of poor health. So I think when most people have, this is a major takeaway, is that chronic infections can live a very long time in your body if left untreated. Well, Anne Louise, I'm, I'm a living example because in my 40s, I developed atrial fibrillation and it happened when I became vulnerable, going through a stressful time interpersonal, over-exercising, training for an Ironman, and I got acutely sick with bacteremia, which is bacteria in my blood. And I wasn't bitten by a tick recently. It was decades before when I was bitten by ticks. And I had the atrial fibrillation and I proved through testing that it was initiated by the reactivation of Lyme disease. Oh, I've never heard that before. My gosh, oh, yeah. thank God yeah. you tested. Yeah, and I treated myself aggressively for a while because Lyme disease is not easy to get rid of. And now I'm, now I'm in complete sinus rhythm. So, you, so without testing, you're guessing, am I correct? Without testing, you are absolutely guessing. And if you're using standard of care tests with standard of care reference ranges for normal, then you will never catch the smoldering and you'll only be caught by surprise when the disease catches up to you eventually. So you talked about the viral burden, the parasitic burden, but number one is a bacterial burden, bacterial burden. What Absolutely. bacteria, are there particular bacteria that you look for or is it just a total oh, no. burden? We, we look, 
what happens is when you're a vulnerable, then many will crop up. So we test for what we call the usual suspects. And if someone wants to go deeper, you know, there's added expense to the more testing we do. But usually the treatment we have will cover a broad range of these. But the number one organisms come from the mouth. You have root canals, you have any bleeding gum whatsoever. That's the bacteria. That is so important to reiterate. Tell, tell my listeners again that the number one cause of the bacteria comes from the oral cavity. Right. And there's a company in California, uh, Correxime, I think is that, or Cortexime is the name of the company. They are building treatments for Alzheimer's triggered by P. gingivalis, the bacteria that lives in the mouth. So, and then Scientific American in 2002 published this very long extra publication called Oral and Whole Body Health, showing how it affects birth weights, premature births, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, weight gain, autoimmune conditions, so on and so forth. So, you know, we can take a drug for every one of these conditions, or we can identify the oral pathogens in your body, treat them, and solve multifactorial conditions. So how do you identify this exactly? Do you very, very simple test. There's a company, there are several, but the one I use is Oral, O-R-A-L, Oral DNA Labs out of Minnesota. And what they have done is titrated what they find in terms of pathogen burden in your saliva to the burden that's most likely under the gum line. What people have to understand is you don't have to have pain. You don't have to have any oral symptoms. The, the Look at the teeth as like an iceberg. <laughs> the problem is below the gum line, below the water line. So I ask you a very simple question. What part of the iceberg sunk the Titanic? It's so the one underneath, yes. Right, right. So the oral DNA test figures out how, what's going on below. When you have bleeding above the gum line, it's emanating from below and it can go in two directions. And believe me, it goes in both directions up above the gum line and down into your central nervous system, into your brain and your eyes. Wow. And the blood system, the vascular system, into your heart, joints, and everywhere else causing disease. Oh, my gosh. So now, I, I wrote an article um, in a magazine, unfortunately, no longer existed. I don't know if I put them out of business. I'm just being, I'm kidding. But the article was, why do you shrink when you age? So what I explained is that your discs in your, in your back, your spine, are foamy, bony structures. Mm -hmm. think, think of a Twinkie as opposed to a, a hard stick, okay? The oral pathogens can migrate from the nervous system at the root in your teeth down in through your central nervous system fluid, cerebral spinal fluid, get into the discs and start breaking down that structure. Oh my you, God, I never, I've never heard, I heard anybody make that connection before. Right, and so what happens is you start seeing some compression why else do you shrink? Your bones aren't really com compacting. What's compacting? What's contracting? That foamy material. That foamy material. So Correct. what do we do? Is there anything, if people can't, how, the oral DNA test is not an expensive test? No, not at all. 
So, what do we what do we do as a, as a preventative? Is is hydrogen peroxide healthy? Is Listerine the answer? So you you got to be you know the the frontline critical care doctors suggest that, but I don't. On my website, I I have four blogs titled Focal Infection. So you can look if you go to healthrevivalpartners.com and on my blog you press the little magnifying glass and put in the word focal. And the third blog I wrote is an oral health program. And let me give you let me give you how basic it can be. You brush your teeth, you have some bleeding gum, even if it's mild. You now have pathogens on your toothbrush. You brush at 11 o'clock at night and seven o'clock in the morning, you brush your teeth again. The toothbrush is still damp. Guess what? You just reinfected yourself. Mm. So the most basic thing you can do is sanitize your toothbrush. Now, tartar is a biofilm made of fats. And if you eradicate that with something like a little iodine and a, and a water flosser, or you swish with some coconut oil, that's not quite aggressive enough, but it's helpful. Maybe a little peroxide. I use essential oils on occasion that you only have to do that once a week or twice a week because the biofilm isn't coming back instantaneously. It takes a while for it to start aggregating and collecting. So I don't like doing very aggressive treatments like peroxide in the mouth every day because our oral cavity has a microbiome as well. Yes, and it kills I don't the like microbiome. It. Yeah, so you don't, it's, it's like, you don't wanna nuke, nuke yourself with an antibiotic every day. Look, if you have something going on in your brain or your heart, we're probably gonna use something more aggressive because your heart is important. Your brain is important, more important than, you know, than the damage created by some of the, the systems that are in treatments that we use. But we always use treatments in combination with things that offset the effects of those treatments as part of the protocol. So your company offers, just let me get this correct, your company offers a blood test and yes. you become the health detective, so to speak. You can figure out what may be causing the hidden infections, which are creating the inflammation, which are creating the ill health, and then guide us to what we need to do to get rid of it. Right. And, and so we're not a lab testing company. You can go to Life Extension or Alta Labs, things like that. We, we sell very economical packages, which include the very robust panels of blood, lab, blood testing labs, a risk assessment report, our own color-coded reports so you can really understand your health compared to the nonsense reports you get from LabCorp and Quest, which are very difficult to interpret. We give you a single number score for both so you know where you are on the continuum so you can measure your progress. And they always come with a consult. So you're, you're, you're not on your own in terms of interpreting them because proper interpretation of chronic risk, which is 90% of the problem, is a, an art and science that we've developed over decades. So if you, like I said, if you're just interested in labs, go to Life Extension, go to Alta Labs, go to the labs, but ours all come with at least an initial consult. And then we have packages with either coaches or myself or functional docs for ongoing care if you're, if you're not really making progress. A lot of people come to me, they go through the one hour consult, they got their labs, a risk assessment, we give them an initial plan. 
and they'll go away for six months and then come back and test. And if their labs improve, then they're very happy. They keep going the way they're going. If they don't, they generally hire us for more contiguous care. So how do you figure out, other than the oral DNA, that the problem is coming from the mouth? What about the root canal teeth? Well, you know, I've, I've seen enough oral DNA tests to know that you do not have to have root canals to see a high oral pathogen burden. However, I've very rarely seen someone with even one root canal not have a high oral burden. And we have one lady, you know, that was a great testimonial for us recently that just had one root canal taken care of and she is in her mid 60s and her hair color darkened and her mm -hmm. energy improved and her balance improved one root canal unbelievable what about missing teeth so they can create cavitations like i said anybody over the age of 50 if you want a test that profoundly measures your bacterial burden and potential for disease or explain your causation, then you wanna take the oral test and it gives a, an initial treatment plan. But I also have on my team, Dr. Patty Barubi, who's a, a, a periodontist, functional periodontist out of the Dallas, Texas area that does consults mm. to help people understand what the treatment plan could look like because dental work can be very expensive. So. For short dollars, you can have it buy an insurance policy with me, essentially, of talking to Dr. Barubi and getting a good sense of what your options are. Because it, it may not be simple. There's aesthetics, there's structure, there's the pathogen burden. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a multifactorial, multifactorial personal decision. But and Louise, I want to talk about other pathogens that are underdetected. And you mentioned toxoplasma. Yes. Toxoplasmosis. So do you measure the antibodies in your test? We measure the antibodies. And, you know, the CDC says up to 60 million Americans are positive for toxoplasma. But they also say, but it's not a problem because the immune system handles it. But what they don't understand is the mild symptoms of ennui, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, yes, that toxoplasma gondii. See, the reason why you worry about women being exposed in, in childbearing ages to cat litter is that is one, not the only place of exposure to toxoplasma gondii parasite. And if it gets into the placenta, it has a profound effect on fetal brain development. Yes, it yes, can yes, affect yes. the human brain in the fetus it can affect the human brain in the adult. So toxoplasma gondii, mycoplasma pneumoniae, chlamydia so pneumoniae. So toxoplasmosis, so the mycoplasma, tell us what mycoplasma is to my listeners. You know, um, Garth Nicholson out of um, the Newport Beach has a great lecture on mycoplasma that I just re-listened to. And it's very similar to chlamydia pneumonia, except mycoplasma pneumonia as a bacterium is actually kind of a quasi virus. It's very small. I think it doesn't have a cell wall. Right. And it, and it can cause all the same kind of reactive conditions that the periodontals do. Any, you know, it's called walking pneumonia when you have high mycoplasma. But I see people with high titers, which are high antibody levels with mycoplasma. And the common denominator 
the common denominator in these people with very high levels is pulmonary embolisms. And if you mm. get a pulmonary embolism, now you're on a blood thinner for life. Mm. Not that you need to be, because if you treat the mycoplasma and dissolve the embolism, then you can get off it. But in the standard of care, they just keep going on for life. And before we continue, I want to thank you once again, my wonderful sponsors, UnikeyHealth.com, the home of all my formulations, including BioBuilder, MagKey, and Super GI Cleanse, as well as CS-Health.com, the home of the only official activated sulforaphane products for internal and external body and beauty care. Thank you so much, my wonderful sponsors. So chlamydia, is that connected in any way to rheumatoid arthritis? hundred percent. I, I don't, when I say hundred percent, I don't mean that it, that's all it causes or that's the only cause of rheumatoid arthritis. But if you look up chlamydia, like the STD, but this is not pneumonia, P-N-E-U-M-O-N-I-A-E, and RA or arthritis or joint pain, you will find thousands of articles. Then you ask yourself a question, why isn't my doctor testing for this? Because Humira and these biologics are so profitable for the medical industrial complex that they're not looking to solve the underlying problem. So how many values do you test for? This sounds very comprehensive. Is this the infectious disease panel that you offer? Right, so when the infectious disease panel, we do our standard panel, which we call our chronic disease risk scoring or chronic disease temperature panel. That's 55 biomarkers. Then we screen for seven organisms that are the usual suspects when we add on to the, when we call that our infectious screening panel. But we have the ability to do much broader panels. I put together a panel with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which really is titrated to heart attacks. Um, you see a, do you see a lot of that? Isn't that prevalent in the Southwest? What's really interesting, and Louise, is I run a corporate program. Um, one location's up in Indiana, and I was testing some of the people for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and the public health department of Tennessee, where I live, called me up to understand the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. They thought there was an outbreak. And I'm saying, my dear, wow, how would you know if there's an outbreak? No one's testing for this. Exactly. So like you get one Rocky Mountain spotted fever and they think there's an outbreak. No. You know, somewhere between one and 5% of the population are positive for Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So there is an outbreak, just no one knows it. But there are rickettsial diseases. You know, Dr. Trump treated Mrs. Rothschild uh, for macular degeneration. And he discovered that the macular disease was due to a rickettsial disease that came from rat feces. And he figured out from interviewing her that she was in the tubes of London during the Blitzkrieg and there were lots of rats and rat feces in the tubes as well. And oh, that's most likely where she got infected. So this is the Rothschild, it's Edmund de Rothschild. Unbelievable. Basically owned governments financed governments okay and still does probably yes oh yeah and that's you know that was dr trump's client and he she came religiously rather than going to harley street in london where everybody wanted her to be a patient to harvard to see dr trump specifically twice a year for her entire rest of her life she died at like the age of 86 
So tell me what else you test for that people don't test for. It's not just that you test for these different things, but you have a different realm of what's healthy and not healthy. It's not just the regular lab values. Right. So the lab reference ranges or intervals are tied to chronic, I mean, to acute disease. We've titrated our reference ranges for any given biomarker is where well-published studies show that that value shows an increase in early mortality risk for the individual. And of course, early mortality is something we're trying to avoid. And the longer you live, it's well-published, the longer you live healthy. If, you, if you're gonna die at 80, you're, you're, you're sick at 60, okay? And, you know, but if you're gonna to live to 100, you're still healthy at 85. Interesting. So it's called, and that's published in the National Geographic, a really good study from 2013. So, you know, when, if, when you die at 100, you fall off a cliff. When you die at 80, you, fall, <laughs> you, are, you are mainly, you you're sliding down a slippery slope. Yep. So the other infectious, the other infectious things we looked at, rickettsial yes. diseases, it's called the furbile panel. Um, but the, one of the things I look at is your Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori. Now I test that on anybody I can. It's not an expensive test. And Lab uh, Quest no longer does a blood test for it. And I think they've made a big mistake hmm. because the Nobel Prize in Medicine 2005 were two considered outrageously crazy Australian pathologists that said back in the 1970s that Helicobacter pylori causes stomach ulcers. And yes. everybody thought they were fools and they win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> I love that story. Right. And that's, uh, what's the name of the guy up in uh, Waterloo University explained, you know, how, how we don't accept things. And then all of a sudden we accept them as obvious and pretend we always accepted them. But yes. long story. But anyway, Paul Fagard, interesting character. But anyway, with Helicobacter pylori, if it causes stomach ulcers, ulcerations in the lining of the gut, it's in the blood. I test for H. pylori in the blood, not in the stool or the breath. I test it for the blood. It's much more sensitive. And what I've discovered is well below the what's considered a normal value in the traditional reference ranges Helicobacter pylori can disrupt stomach acid because it produces ammonia. That's how traditional doctors will test for it, an ammonia breath test. Yes. Ammonia is a base which neutralizes your stomach acid, which then affects the integrity of your microbiome. Acid and microbiome determine how well you digest and you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb. Yes, indeed. So if you're not digesting well, you will not absorb well. Therefore, you will deteriorate more quickly into chronic disease. So how prevalent is this? Helicobacter pylori, everybody has a little. So none of my tests are negative. Everybody has a little. It's just a question of knowing where you are on the Helicobacter pylori um, disease-causing continuum, and you know the numbers may not mean anything unless you're doing a lab core test or someone that's doing nanograms per milliliter blood evaluation. But it's somewhere around, I think it's um, 0.25 nanograms per milliliter 
of the antibody is uh, potentially. Now it's different for everybody. If, you're, if your gut's really healthy, 0.25 is probably not a big deal for you. But if you already have reflux and diarrhea and constipation, then a little H. pylori is bad. Let me give you an example that someone may, people may understand. If you're a severe diabetic, a little sugar will make your sugars oscillate across a wide range. But if you're perfectly insulin sensitive, non-diabetic, a little sugar doesn't affect your blood, your blood sugars. Same with your gut. A little H. pylori in a, in a messed up gut will have major ramifications on digestion and, and gut symptoms. Whereas if your gut's healthy, a little H. pylori is probably completely under control by the beneficial organisms down there. What do you do to treat it, Dr. Lewis? I, this is, I know it is becoming increasingly common. You don't use antibiotics. What would you use? So if someone is really on the far end of the spectrum and having a hard time getting their gut back, absorption is so important uh, that antibiotics would be used in those cases because really you worry about the antibiotics destroying the gut flora, but you don't have any if your digestion's that bad. But let's digress because I almost never go there. We start off with a probiotic seeding rotation program and the word seeding is very important. If your listeners out there are taking the same probiotic every day, that is not helping them. They're increasing the number of organisms in terms of- But not quantity, the species variety. Not the species or so the quality. So what I do is a seven day rotation of probiotics where your label may say, take this probiotic you know, three times a day with food. I tell you to take it one time a week and we're going to see your gut is like the soil. We don't plant a sequoia, we put seeds in there to grow them. And I do the same in your body. So I have this program, day one, you take a specific probiotic I recommend. Day two, you have a little fermented food. Day three, you take a different probiotic that I recommend. Day four, you take a little probiotic food. Day five, you take yet a third probiotic, all from different sources. And then you just repeat that, okay? And that's the first step. Then if you're getting better, when people are starting to get better, we don't mess with that. We just let them keep going on that path. But if they're not getting better, then we might add some apple cider vinegar, apple cider vinegar pills, maybe a betaine hydrochloride to try to promote good stomach acid because the symbiosis between strong acid and the health of the organisms down there. So we have this biphasic thing. Um, I use particular supplements when H. pylori is high to help improve the acid profile by getting rid of the H. pylori. And these are things that can, supplements that contain um, small amounts of bismuth, you know, Pepto-Bismol. What does Pepto-Bismol stand for? Yes, yes. Peptic ulcers, bismuth. <laughs> so we don't use that gross Pepto-Bismol. We use supplements with pure, clean bismuth um, compounds and also uh, mastic gum, which is well published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Yes. To treat H. pylori. And if it doesn't work, then we go into a colloidal silver program. So and you're then, pretty, you're pretty alternative. I'm asking you all these questions very specifically. I have an agenda. It sounds like you are integrative and functional. Well, I like for the say, most part. I, 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 Anne Louise, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I think I'm a hybrid. 
<laughs> and let me explain why. Functional doctors, I think, prescribe too many supplements and kind of indicate you can't be healthy without their supplements. Traditional doctors provide too many pharmaceuticals and tell you you can't be healthy without them. I'm kind of in between, and this is my philosophy. Okay, number one, test thoroughly and choose tests that are lowest in cost that tell us the most and have good data behind them and are interpreted correctly. Number two, if you're digesting poorly, supplement because you're not getting nutrients in while we fix digestion. Then sort of the third part of this puzzle is, I do not like supplementing with anything that your body naturally produces because it could potentially tell that production system in your body to slow down or shut down. Not that I won't do it short term or in pulses, but I won't do that continuously. What I will supplement are things that are called essential nutrients, which are by definition means things that you do not, do not synthesize, you can only get from foods. And the main thing I supplement because it's the hardest to digest and absorb are broad array of minerals in liquid form, particularly for people with digestive issues. And then since my main focus for years had been brain, I will supplement with what the Weston A. Price Foundation considers the number one superfood, which is cod liver oil. Your it's, the, it's the most robust oil-based, fat-based supplement. It's really a superfood. Contains natural vitamin D. Vitamin D is not D3, it's D2, 3, 4, 5. Cod liver oil has it. Natural vitamin A saves eyesight and saves the brain. Vitamin A is as close to a, it's probably the most robust natural antibiotic you can take in. True, and nobody, nobody knows it anymore. Nobody knows true. that. So these are, the, these are the kinds of things that we're gonna do. And of course, if we suspect parasites, you're gonna get a little ivermectin or, or you, you don't have to do ivermectin. There are herbal blends that have some anti-parasitic efficacy. And if, if you're making headway symptomatically, and through physiology, then we just follow you along that way. And if you hit a plateau, then maybe we need to change the protocol a little bit or add something to the protocol. So do you work with medical doctors if somebody does need an antibiotic? Oh yeah, I have many medical doctors in my orb and on, and on my team. But let, let me go back to the supplements, for example. When you are in balance and absorbing well and eating well, in my humble opinion, you don't need supplements. And so I practice what I teach, preach. I don't take supplements. I take cod liver oil occasionally. I'll take some glutamine for muscle building because I'm very physically active. Um, I don't eat a lot of, I don't take a lot of vitamin C. I eat peppers and fruit. Once again, I'm, I'm active. So the fruit fructose doesn't really throw my sugars out. My fasting insulin is below two. Um, things, things of that nature. If I feel like I'm getting sick, I can tell usually if I have a cold coming on, and I'll do the antiviral protocol. I'll take the quercetin, zinc, high dose vitamin C. Um, I don't take vitamin D till I get out in the sun. You know, I'm in Tennessee and I'm fair skinned and I get a lot of sun. So, so but people again, out of balance need them. People yes. with digestion need them. And you can determine that by the blood test. Absolutely. Blood tests and also the interview because understanding the person and relating it to the testing 
is both pieces are extremely important. I, I don't want to pretend, I, I don't want to be a scientist that just looks at numbers, doesn't look at the person, just looks at the screen and says, my analytics say you should do X, Y, Z. No, you got to listen to the person. You got to hear their story. I ask everybody their health story, their health history. I want to know, I want to know you, what makes you tick, what makes you back away. You know, getting people to do things is the most important part of what I do, not what I do. Getting them committed to do things. And you only can do that through relationship building. Can you tell us in our remaining moments the most surprising case histories that you've run across where your test has been life-saving? Well, you know, I think um, I'll mention Roger. He was a natural guy, um, raised bees, had his own honey. Um, the only problem is he was 50 pounds overweight and his hands were so riddled with rheumatoid arthritis and so puffy as a machinist, he had to go on disability. He could not bend his fingers. He took pictures because we were working remotely with him. Six months later, he had lost 25 pounds. His sexual vigor had increased <laughs> and his hands, I have pictures of it on our testimonial page. His hands, except for a little teeny swelling and some knuckles from residual scar tissue, were completely normal. We had the exact same situation with a lady with psoriasis. Her hands and heels were so blistered and cut that she hadn't washed her hands without pain for a year. And of course, she had three dermatologists and you know infrared light therapy, and they're all treating her topically. We treated her from within. And that magic number of five months, she sent me a, I remember I was driving home from Nashville to Knoxville and I get this text from Sandy and it's a picture of her hands. And, you know, I, I don't like to create expectations that, unrealistic, that were unrealistic, but when I saw those hands, I almost couldn't believe it myself. They were so fantastic. And then the case I'm most proud of right now, and we're not out of the woods yet, is a lady who's 68. And when I first met her on telehealth, her husband's a very intelligent engineer, retired, taking care of her. She was sleeping 20 hours a day. And the other four hours, she was slumped over in her wheelchair. Oh. Most you'd hear from her is this morbid, loud moan. Now, in the last two months, I've been working with her for a year. In the last two months, she's gone from 92 pounds to 103 pounds. When you're losing weight, you're dying. She has gained 14, 15 pounds back. She is speaking contextually. And when she gets assistance walking, even within the last two weeks, this is breaking news. Two weeks ago, she was sort of crossing her feet and would easily trip. Now her husband tells me, that her gait is, has become more normal. We have a long way to go with her, but frankly, everybody on my team said, there's nothing you can do for her. She's too far gone. And so what did you, what were her underlying infections, Dr. Lewis? So interestingly in her, not really that robust, a little infection, a little periodontal, but it's unremarkable. But what happens 
here in Louise, is that all the infection is localized in a certain center of the brain. So when you look at the peripheral blood, it's not that high. And what I'm really doing with her is I'm not so much treating the infection as I'm treating the chronic inflammation that has manifest over a half dozen to a dozen years in her brain. And we're just, uh. slowly, we're just slowly, the brain, think about brain trauma. You bang your head and then 20 years later, you're still not with it. But the, the insult's long gone, but the inflammation persists. And that's a, a big missing piece in treating brain problems. And I fight hard to keep people on the program of an anti-inflammatory process. And the anti-inflammatories I use penetrate the blood-brain barrier because the brain is fat. So therefore the treatments I use are lipo, fat, philic, loving. What, what are they? Can you share that with us in our remaining moment or two? Well, or do we keep that a secret? Well, I don't want to keep it a secret, but I don't want to mention. So cod liver oil, keto diet, but not a keto diet without counseling to keep your mineral nutrients very, very high. Yes. Mineral supplementation. And then I use anti-inflammatory pharmaceuticals, but not biologics. Don't get me wrong. But just because of the nature of them and the requirement for guidance from a prescription from a doctor and the proper dosing based on how fragile or, or robust you are. I'll hold that close to the vest, but I can tell you they're widely available, well-documented, legacy, you know, been around forever, so they have great safety profiles. And I use them at low dose to just downregulate the inflammation. So how do people get in touch with you once again? Can we give our listeners a little coupon code, a little incentive here, because I think everybody should get tested. Everybody should be tested. Well, Anne Louise, we run, we run healthrevivalpartners.com. And for our, um, I better not make it complicated, but we run one, our chronic risk panel, and then we run a COVID risk panel. And they're very similar, they overlap, but the COVID risk panel just includes more biomarkers for COVID risk, like clotting factors, like infection right out of the chute, and for like tissue destruction. So they're very similar. One's a 55 biomarker panel, and then the other one's a 65 biomarker panel with the same 55, but adds 10 on. And so I really cut my price on that because I wanted people to get tested. So I'm offering on both panels, um, code ALG10, so that gives you 10% off on, on either panel. And you don't need both panels, it's either or. And those are the right places to start. You don't have to go down and what do I need, men's health, this doesn't matter. Your body responds to insults in certain ways, that's what we measure. What's next for Dr. Thomas Lewis? You wanna heal the country, obviously. You know, I'm looking to get more practitioners. I'm looking to get on health plans and I'm looking to more widely distribute it to single payer systems. And if it's not in the United States, it'll be in Korea, Singapore, Thailand, wherever people are anxious for better health. Tell us where people can find some of your written works, Dr. Lewis. So on my website, healthrevivalpartners.com, 
there's a link to go to my the three books I've written. I'd write more, but I'm spending too much time reading literature, not, not writing books. Um, and then for your listeners, and Louise, if they go, you go to my website, healthrevivalpartners.com and put a forward slash books, B-O-O-K-S, that brings you to a site that has a lot of my published works, including my books. Thank you for all your time and all the wonderful work that you're doing. I had heard about you from a doctor friend of mine, and I have gotten the test, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm going to report to you all of my findings. And I think this is something that everybody should be doing. I think that your health, your life, the quality of your life depends upon it. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you're somewhere on the health disease continuum. Let's find out where you are. And the more you're headed to the wrong side, let's get you on the right side. And, and you know, that health disease continuum is really an early mortality scale. So everybody wants to be as low on that continuum as possible. And that's what we endeavor to help you do. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you once again, Dr. Lewis. And I want to thank all of my listeners for listening yet once again to First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Join me next week, but be safe, be healthy, be happy. Lots of love and shalom. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.